I mean, they wanted to make a new brand. The Japanese have been waiting for the world to get excited about high-end cords for like 20 years now, okay? I mean, with Astron, at Seiko, they're like, this is the year, guys. People are gonna spend thousands on cords. I, I remember the look on their face. They're like, it has GPS on it. And everyone's like, so? And they're like, but it has GPS in it. And everyone's like, so? That was a big deal. Like all the Japanese brands, Citizen Casio and Seiko all did it. And it was sort of like the entire world yawned. Welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. We have, we have David, say good morning, David. Good morning. We have Ariel, say good morning, Ariel. Good morning, everyone. And because it appears there's some sort of latent demand for two Scottish people talking about watches, we also have Alex back. Who knew Alex? That's like fake demands, like certain <laughs> brands of watch that's been created for two Scottish people on a watch podcast for sure. <laughs> you think it's all a ruse? Yeah. It's all going to get found out eventually in the end. Well, how are you this morning, Alex? This afternoon. It's great. Good to be back on. I mean, we are we are doing not badly in terms of worldwide coverage. We've got me in the UK, David in Central Europe, Ariel in the far west, and you in the far east. So we're, we're, we're global, officially. You basically made Los Angeles sound like Perth, just so you know. <laughs> Excellent. Good stuff. Well, it is. it feels like it's been a bit of a quieter week in watches this week. How does everybody reflect on the past week? Definitely. I mean, usually the entire summer is very quiet. Watch brands decided to use June to launch an unprecedented number of watches. August and probably much of July is sort of, you know, their government mandated, uh, you know, vacation time. So this is normally a little bit quiet, but you're right because we sort of keep expecting news to keep popping up. And there's a particular moment, I think it's like the last week of August where we're going to see just an enormous amount again. So I guess we all have to figure out like, what do we do for the next six weeks? I think we just talk and chat and talk about things and then do watches. So on that note, Ariel, you have just returned from France, which means it's a blog to watch, watches, watches. What films did you see on the plane? So I, I actually saw a mini series, which is kind of like a long film that had a lot of watches in it for plot. But there was no like specific nice watch you would see. So the show was called Infinity with an I at the end. I think it might have been originally a French production. And it's about... <laughs> I was busy watching French cinema on the way home. Okay. Jinx. <laughs> They're trying to be very... Um, I, I don't know. The show... The thing was in Russian, English, and French. Like equally. <laughs> Like uh -huh. maybe mostly in English, but also a lot of Russian and French. So they were, it was kind of unclear. So it was about astronauts at the International Space Station who uh, reached there through like whatever the old Soviet base was in like Kazakhstan. And there's some mystery stuff in there. But, you know, they're astronauts. So they have, you know, what looks to be, you know, astronaut watch is sort of Speedmaster-esque, but they're not Speedmasters. You could tell that the prop masters from the production just bought something inexpensive. So it was really great that they went so far as to write watches really into the plot because time is, I guess, a part of it without actually getting any nice watch at all alex best use of watches and films that you've seen recently oh recently I, I always keep an eye out for things if you're a watch guy you you definitely do i watched that terrible show from the weekend that's basically some kind of level of softcore pornography and uh, there's lots of rich celebrities <laughs> in that yeah you should check it out <laughs> that got Ariel interested i don't even know, like like I, I feel so out of touch like with pop culture 
I, 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 top I, as well. it was a I don't even know me. what you said. I don't know what it is or who it is or where. I have no idea. So there's an artist that the kids are down with now, a funky guy called The Weeknd, who plays okay. pop tunes in the charts. And um, he's <laughs> right. got this kind the of parade. The parade. He's got this kind of vanity project called The Idol with him and Johnny Depp's daughter in it, which is it's basically just softcore pornography. But there's lots of there's celebrities and stuff in it. And um, there's lots of um, two-tone, I think he's got a two-tone sub in it. There's a couple of day dates, but it's good for watch spotting if you can distract yourself from all the nudity. I see. <laughs> David, can you distract yourself from all the nudity to look at the watches on the telly? Yeah, you don't have a telly. Technically, it's the closest <laughs> we've gotten to watch porn, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing taking your fancy in the watch world of of the movie or the cinema, because you say you don't own a television, so you, you just sit there reading books. No, I've... Studying the no. French classics. <laughs> Russian, actually, but no, I haven't really seen anything. Um, yeah, no, not, not much lately, thank God. But it is cool. a distraction. It's true. There is two shows I would check out. One is there's like a bio pick series of Arnold Schwarzenegger which I think's Netflix and he's wearing like Panerai's and all oh. the rest of it and the other is there's a show about diamonds has anyone come across this it's about know. diamonds yeah it was well worth watching uh, if I could remember the name of it because it's relevant it's called nothing lasts forever mm. 100% anyone that's into watches should check out the show for the parallel track of the watch world to the diamond industry. It's just about, it's about the creation of like uh, manufactured diamonds and what the likes of De Beers think of this and how they created the market in diamonds. Lots of watch content because it's full of like guys wearing posh watches. So go and check out. You mean diamonds aren't rare? (laughs) Turns out they're not. Turns out it's all an invention. That's the sure. two Scottish people on a podcast about watches, right? I was so confused when in every city in the world you could travel about five minutes to buy as many diamonds as you could possibly want. That made them feel so rare to me. It's a very good point. I mean, actually, when you think about it, it's exactly right. There's like no city, in, there's plenty of cities in the world you can go to and can't buy a Rolex. Like most cities that have Rolex boutiques, you can't even go to and buy a Rolex. But there are no cities in the world that you can't go to and buy diamonds. Never seen it. You're never far from that. You can be anywhere. Diamonds on, right this way. Diamonds and rats. Rats, anyway, buying rat, the rat superstore. Is that, is that where you drive on the weekends? <laughs> First up this week, the Monday article, comments about practical power reserves. This is by Jake. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to have a read of this. If you have, what do you think? Are you a power reserve guy? Do you like a power reserve? Do you like them on the back? Do you not care? Is it irrelevant? Oh, I like it. I mean, look, when you when you wear a watch that has a power reserve indicator, you pay attention to it, you start to imagine what it's like to drive a car without a fuel gauge. You're like... How did I go this entirely? It's so much, it's so sensical. <laughs> um, and you're right, practically speaking, if you're a watch enthusiast, you're switching watches all the time, it doesn't matter. But if you tend to wear the same watch for longer periods of time or switch out and like them to be accurate, like it's amazingly helpful. And it's kind of surprising that so few watches have a power reserve indicator. But then I think his, his article went on to talk about the actual power reserve itself and how, you know, 
We as watch enthusiasts should demand reasonable power reserve times. And, and I'll say this. There's been a lot of advancement over the last five or six years or so in terms of power reserve times. I think David can attest this for sure, where for the longest time, you know, about two days was more or less the standard. And that's what like everything was. It was if it was a little bit less. You were like, okay, we'll just not talk about it. I remember like the Alangan zone of the Zeit work, you know, very power intensive. It was like, you know, 30 hours or something like that. Some small amount and nobody talked. It had a power reserve indicator. And then all of a sudden, brands started to think that people would pay a lot more for like a little bit more power reserve. So they part started putting larger barrels in there, multiple barrels, slowing down the uh, the regulation system from sort of like three to, uh, sorry, for four to three hertz, uh, which is what sort of Swatch Group did with the Powermatic series to extend the power reserve. And by using some more sophisticated parts, they claim that it's just as accurate. So from a nerd perspective, it's actually interesting to talk about. I, I, I don't know. I think that I definitely want a good power reserve on there. If you have like a five day, do you, when you wear like a two day, do you feel inadequate? I, I don't know. What do you think? I always feel inadequate. <laughs> I mean, I've got, so my Panerai, which is the watch I wear the most is uh, eight days. So can anyone beat eight days for a watch that they regularly wear with a power reserve? Yeah, but your watch doesn't do anything else. No, it's got a GMT function on it. Oh! <laughs> and it's water resistant, yeah. apparently. I like how that's related to this mainspring. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a mainspring. <laughs> Alex, did you get far enough to get the education on how power reserves work at Daniel I didn't Wellington? get past the spring bar training, but um, I think it's, it's funny how people are a lot more focused on things once brands introduce something. So once it's like, hey guys, we've suddenly found this extra 40 hours of power reserve. Somehow we've done it in this movement. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's something. Yeah, we really want that. That's such like a big deal now. Um, I, I do actually like a power reserve indicator on a watch. I think it's a pretty cool look, especially mm. like on, I think it's the Seiko Presage Cocktail Time, one of the first ones. I don't really understand when they have the display on the back though. I'll, I'd prefer it on the front, but I guess anywhere is better than nothing. It's not as cool to show someone if you have to wind it and it's on the back of the watch, I think. Except Grand Seiko, when they put the power reserve somewhere daft on the front, they should always be <laughs> okay. in the back. All Grand Seiko power reserves should be in the back because they've got nowhere sensible to put them when they put them you on the like front. You don't like the Presage one? It's a bit big. It takes up like a third of the dial, but I kind of like the first or one of the first Presage cocktail time power reserves. It, does the power reserve, is it like inversely proportional to the price of the watch in the case of Seiko? So you say the, bigger, the, the cheaper the price, the larger the power reserve display. Yeah, but like, does the price change in relation to as the power reserve drops, the watch becomes more expensive? Just it's how they select their pricing of, of Seiko is just you know where is our power reserve indicator? That's five hundred. I think that's a great upcoming future article for David to research and to um, and work on. <laughs> mm, yes. David, power reserves. Uh, I think you know to me the the the, the 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 core of this whole issue is that you know if I see a watch with forty two hours of power reserve, to me it just feels dated. And ancient. I just feel like I'm buying, I'm paying a premium, like I'm buying a luxury watch with a 50-year-old movement in it. That's like, you know, mm. to go with Ariel's analogy, it's like buying a car with a 50-year-old engine. Sure, it's reliable and all that, but is that what you really want at this point? You know, I mean, uh, some of these brands should have invested, and many of them actually have, in making their movements more modern in that sense. And I feel like, you know, every single freaking luxury watch that is produced today should have a weekend lasting power reserve. Whereas if you put it down on Friday afternoon, you can still pick it up on Monday morning and it's still ticking away. I think that that's, that should be at the, at the very base. 
you know, at the minimum, uh, what uh, watches should be able to deliver about, let's say, $3,000. I just want to say, I'm not sure if consumers understand the technicalities enough to know what to expect. And that's one of those areas. It's sort of like the same thing where consumers would complain that like anything quartz could not be expensive for many years. Like it had a quartz movement. I don't care how nice it was. Like it can't be expensive. Because they don't really know. And so I think the similar situation with power reserve is there's not really a lot of understanding of how a power reserve um, you know, is calculated, um, how you increase it, things that would decrease it, how if you want a really big movement, okay, it's fine to have a, a long power reserve for something smaller. That's more challenging to do. And so I think expectations are similar to smartwatches and battery life, not necessarily founded in technical reality. So the first step is to you know, educate people on how power reserve systems work and, you know, what's reasonable to expect. And then as you dole out innovation, which is actually happening, which is great, it connects to what, you know, is actually interesting because there's a lot of movements that come out with big power reserves and they've done nothing special. There's just a bigger barrel and and that's that. And people are like, wow, 65 hours. How'd they do that? And everyone's like, <laughs> well, they just, it's like a bigger fuel tank. Well, they made the tank a little bit bigger. That's that's all they did. It's not that impressive. So I agree that it's something that practically is very useful. And so when there's improvements in it, it actually makes you happy as a consumer. But I don't want them to cradle this weird mystification around it to pretend like it's a lot more complicated than it is. I mean, the difference between like a perpetual calendar and a $10,000 less calendar is like one wheel, okay? And is that the reality that there's no innovation here? There, there, there is. It is literally just, just they're putting a bigger cog in to give you more power well, reserve. Or are there people actually innovating around how to make a watch last longer? Or to say they just give it a bigger fuel tank? There's, it's mostly a bigger fuel tank. The there are ways of making it sl- sip less energy. But remember, the less energy it sips, the less frequency it's going to have and the more error prone it is so a five hertz six hertz movement the higher you go the more power it uses not the not the least so it's been interesting to see grand seiko and chopard um and breguet who have these very high frequency movements up to you know 10 hertz who have more or less the same power reserve that's actually more interesting so if you want accuracy power reserve actually is going to go down because you want to have a you know quote unquote faster movement that's less error prone and so that's i think one of the core issues and how accurate are power reserve indicators is it like fuel tanks you know in a mercedes when it says you have zero miles left <laughs> you have zero miles left in a land rover when it says you have zero miles left you probably drive for about another day and a half you have 40 miles left yeah, yeah, yeah. Another 40 miles. <laughs> I, 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 my experience of a panerai is it says zero it's still going it'll probably still go for another day and a half without any difficulty as you said it really depends on the model i mean the way that the hand is applied the way that this the scale is drawn the particular system which is used you know there's never been a need for them to be absolutely correct like it says i have an hour left remember the movements themselves usually have a longer power reserve which is advertised which advertised is what's sort of like the the middle zone which is accurate so the Hmm. last bit of power reserve and oftentimes in mechanical movement, unless you have some type of constant force escapement, is actually going to be less accurate. So the system actually, a lot of watches just stop themselves before the, the, the power suit compl- gets completely empty so that you don't have a situation when your watch is like really, really off. So there's like a lot of little strange variables in there. But I guess it's it's enough so that you eyeball it and you like you know because there's no reason why you would have to wait till it's zero if it's like at five percent <laughs> like you should wind it okay. <laughs> it's a challenge. I'm daring it to stop. Ariel, as well as 
watching French and Russian cinema. You were also with the LVMH group at the launch of their <laughs> surprise, surprise, Steel Sports Integrated Watch. What? I, how significant is this for Louis Vuitton watches? Yeah, so this was a fun event where they relaunched the tambour, and I really wish they would have given it a more specific name because there's a lot of other tambours, but uh, this is now, you know, simply known as tambour. I think it because at the same time that the new tambour is a higher end, as you said, integrated sports, wa- you know, bracelet sports luxury watch comes out. Uh, Jean Arnaud also announced that Louis Vuitton would be really focusing on higher end stuff. So since the early 2000s, um, I've sort of known Louis Vuitton as having really nice stuff, but for the most part, having several thousand dollar mechanical and quartz watches that you could, you know, pick up and buy at the you know large amount of Louis Vuitton stores around the world. Jean Arnaud has said, for the most part, that's going away. They'll still be a little bit here and there, but it's being phased out. So no quartz, as far as I understand. And again, this doesn't actually include the smartwatch, which will maintain and course is electronic and will be sort of a separate unit so that's not going anywhere but something in the five or six thousand dollar range will rarely be entry level it'll be higher maybe ten thousand dollar range or something like that there's going to be new whole new collections coming out they're going to be relaunched over the next couple of years so this is just the start and if you just sort of objectively look at this watch it's very very nice uh, this mm. is a well done item it's nicely made mm. um Yes, it is suggestive of a lot of other things out there. You could tell that he likes, you know, a little little uh, Gerald Genta here and a little F.P. Jorn here. And it's, it sort of all comes together in this nice kind of, you know, beautiful, slick design with a, with a be- new movement. They went all out. You know, there was no expense spared. Of course, there's going to be more things that they're going to develop and ways they're going to build on this. But this is something that only a massive company um, like Louis Vuitton with an LVMH could do. Um, there is an external supplier that they work with to produce um, the movements in Le Chaux de Fon. So, yes, they have La Fabrique du Tombs, which is really mostly set up to create, like, you know, minute repeaters and tourbillons. Um, but they have a nice new, you know, micro rotor automatic in there. So, again, objectively speaking, it is a very fine timepiece and they did a good job there. It, it does not represent what we have been trained to expect from Louis Vuitton. We've been trained to expect, like, branding, edginess, kind of... Not weird design, but definitely trying to be like different. And now all of a sudden, it's like the Louis Vuitton that people complained they wanted 10 years ago. They're like, mm-hmm. and now they're like, wait a minute, you just got us all excited about giant V's all over the dial. Now you're giving us this? <laughs> like, this is what we wanted a while ago. So it's, it's an amazing thing that the community will have to, again, warm up to. Um, but it does show that Louis Vuitton is going to be the playground for watches at LVMH. Um, they are very much creating a hierarchy. Remember, the same team is doing the new Daniel Ross stuff and the G- Gerald Genta stuff, which is going to be a few hundred pieces each um, per brand. And it's going to focus on, again, you know, musical watches and tourbillons and this exotic stuff. So it's going to be it's going to be a high a high end playground. Good stuff, definitely enthusiast-oriented. So there'll be a lot to write about, stuff that most people can afford. I don't know about that. So it says Louis Vuitton Paris on it, and then it says Swiss made on the back and the front. Yeah. Is that a problem? No, I, it's actually true. I mean, the the company itself, Louis Vuitton, is a Paris-based company. The Maison of Louis Vuitton is, is that. But part of the company is watchmaking and they don't do that out of Paris. They use the specialists in Switzerland. So I think they're trying to say that we are 
a French luxury themed company. And we sort of epitomize what you want to think about as modern French luxury, which comes out of Paris. But for watches, you know, watches are best done in Switzerland. And that's where Louis Vuitton gets his watches made. So that's really how you connect those two. Now, as you can all tell, I'm not a fashionista. And I wonder, does Louis Vuitton, I assume they think it does, have the brand name to pull this off in the watch world straight away or is this going to be a slow grow is this appealing to people who are already buying the louis vuitton handbags and are into that and aspire to that as a brand and then the watch geeks like us are going to have to take a bit of warming up to think that this is the equivalent of buying a royal oak or a 5711 when the prices get to that kind of region where where does this sit i'm i'm, I'm not really grasping what they're trying to achieve here. They've got the really high-end stuff, and then they've got the mass consumer fashion, which is still expensive. This is trying to do something different. I think they're trying to say that if you are a watch lover in the know, Louis Vuitton is something that maybe if you didn't choose in the past, you would definitely choose today. Mm -hmm. So they understand that it's not directly related to the other Louis Vuitton stuff out there, which is why the design now is actually more so than ever separated from the fashion side of it. They see it as a separate company. It's run by separate people. The release cycle of products, the events, none of it has anything to do with anything else at Louis Vuitton. There's the family connection. Yes, <laughs> very much so. But, you know, Again, there's there's no part of Louis Vuitton watches which really coincides with the day-to-day -day operation of other Louis Vuitton stuff other than, you know, where the watches are sold and, and some of the things like that. So it's a very different unit, and they, they want people to discover that. I think that, of course, while it depends where you go, Louis Vuitton about, is about as strong as a name as you could get. You want popularity? It, it doesn't get better than that. And they see this as rarity and exclusivity within popularity. So it's like, you know Louis Vuitton, but I bet you know they didn't do this and that kind of um way of approaching the product and, and and the consumer relationship i think will work continuously be better for them and you said that you know for you this isn't the right brand what what would be out of curiosity for me the i'm looking at this watch and doing what you said at the beginning which is associating it with oh it's got a bit of gerald genta here it's got a bit of whatever so i'm going to the originals or to the ones that i know the ap's the iwc's the pateks etc and seeing this as being derivative of something else whereas i suspect what the marketers want to do is they want to make this feel like the original over the next coming month they want to make this feel like it's doing something new and different and i think it is different enough from the royal oaks that actually they may well be able to pull it off but it's just not where i go first maybe it's just I'd, i've never been one for the wear the big brands on your shirt you know advertising adidas or louis vuitton or nike or whatever it happens to be do you see that as being one of those watches do you see this well, as being this is the thing i don't see this as being one of those watches despite the fact that it's got louis vuitton written around the edge which you can barely see that, by the way i mean it's microscopic <laughs> a bit like the bulgari uh, bulgari bulgari stuff so i think this is moving away from the mass production advertising you know you become a billboard for our product that actually give it a good few months 
and you'll probably settle into this and think of this very much like the Octofinissimo. You know, we'll see how they go with the range. I, I think it'll come down to how easy are these going to be to get? The entry level's €20,000. Micro-rotor, big brand, well-made. Seems like a reasonable price if you could say that about anything. But are they going to be creating artificial scarcity in this? Or are you going to be able to actually get hold of these? That's what we're going to have to find out. And there was a lot of people asking Louis Vuitton and Jean specifically about that. Mm. Orders are supposed to start in September to deliver. They're taking people's money now. You know, what we're going to see is what we see with most of, uh, of these sort of new products. First, we have the early adopters, and that includes the many friends of Louis Vuitton out there that just like their newest stuff. You know, we don't necessarily think think about all these people, but around the world, given the popularity of Louis Vuitton, the people that will just buy without really thinking about it, something new and cool from Louis Vuitton is quite high. It's a limited population, but it's entirely possible that for several years, the demand will just go to them. Because again, these are not going to be made in, in huge amounts. We're talking a few hundred a year, I think. So there's going to be a large pool of early adopters. By the time that pool ends, maybe some of the more conservative minds in, in the enthusiast community will have had a chance to see the product, let it burn in, as you say, and will be more accepting of it. So I, I don't think that it's a problem that Louis Vuitton is, con is, is worried about right now. They believe that the brand is strong enough. For them, it's about creating desire. And I think that's what's important. They don't need immediate sell-through. They don't need people you know, standing in line. They want to make an object that at least some people really, really desire. And I think that there's enough people that are excited about this to buy it as it's available that they not only need to sell it for over retail, but you're not going to see these discounted five months from now on, you know, on, on Joma Shop or something like that. So I think that they have a, 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 a at least an awareness that they don't have to worry about creating demand for long. What they do need to create is a genuinely good product that amongst the highest end collectors, no one has to pretend uh, they're giving a compliment to. People can look at it and be like, wow, you really did a nice job. That's, that's like the only thing that the team is thinking about right now is soliciting that type of feedback. Yeah, I mean, it does look, if you like the design, and even if you don't like the design, it does look well made and look good. Alex, David, do you know where you would go in your respective countries to even consider buying one of these? Like, where do you buy a Louis Vuitton watch? Because that's the other thing I have a problem with is, where, where do I actually go to buy one of if these? If you wanted to buy one, though, you if you're in the market for Louis Vuitton products, you know where to get Louis Vuitton products. I don't think this is going to be your first foray into the Louis Vuitton, <laughs> Louis Vuitton collection. Um, I, I've seen, I, I know where some shops are in, in Melbourne. I assume you'd get them from there but like ariel said i think they're i don't think they're going to struggle selling them initially to people the diehard fans and i think that's a really great advantage they've got with a design like this they don't have to make it too super over the top it can just be quality a bit of class they've somehow summoned up some kind of magic and made an integrated steel sports watch that doesn't remind me of all the other ones when i first i heard they were making one your body is a as a watch collector enthusiast you're like ah oh, not another one this is here we go and for some reason I, I can't quite put my finger on it it's different it's different enough from all the other ones it's different from iwc it's different from hublot ap protect it's different from everything and i think that's a, a huge thing and i think we need to think as well about how long fashion brands and luxury brands have squandered that 
brand name when it's come to actually making watches. For years and years and years, they've just thrown out junk. And this feels maybe after a brand like Hermes, who they've already shown you can do it. And I know watch enthusiasts that have their watches who are both fans of the brand and fans of the watchmaking that went into it. And this seems like a natural progression along those lines for, for Louis Vuitton. Yeah, I, you know, what's funny is that uh, in this neck of the woods, what, what happens is that sometimes you go to boutiques and you actually actually send a pretty good chance of finding stuff that you wouldn't find in Paris. Um, so here in Budapest, if you go to Louis Vuitton or Gucci or, you know, some of the other dealers, like, for example, the Tudor uh, AD here, for a long time had watches that, you know, nobody could buy elsewhere. You know, they were on waiting lists in London or wherever else. And you could just pop in here, walk in there and pick one or even two of them up. I mean, those days, to some extent, are gone. But, you know, that was the case even as, you know, as recently as end of last year. And who knows, maybe you can get um, lucky today. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, they will have at least some sort of allocation here, the Louis Vuitton uh, boutique. So, you know, I would just go in and try there. And if they don't have it, then uh, maybe I will find one when I'm traveling if I'm so hooked on it. Otherwise, I'm not going to pursue a freaking watch <laughs> like that um, unless I'm absolutely um, and deeply in love with it. Is there any likelihood that you're going to be able to buy a Louis Vuitton watch in anything other than a Louis Vuitton store? No. Can you do it now? Like, no. Can you go into any watches of Switzerland in the world and buy an LV There, there was watch? limited uh, wholesale distribution. My understanding is that has ended or will be ending in large part, mm-hmm. but the reality now is that if you want to buy these, it's going to be through Louis Vuitton. I don't think that there's going to be a network of dealers. And that's fine because I think there's probably more actual Louis Vuitton stores in the world um, than you would even need to, to yeah. sell these. So it's not all the stores, but you know, if you, you contact your local one saying you want this watch, I mean, they'll do their best to hook you up. So I don't think it's going to be that challenging, but you're right. It's not that clear what store to go to. I, I just wonder whether being able to go along to a multi-brand boutique, even for the next couple of years, and see this sitting beside a Rolex and an IWC or a Patek or something would actually be of benefit to it if the quality is that good for you to say, well, wait a minute, I'd never really consider because I thought of Louis Vuitton as a fashion brand that makes handbags. But here's this really cool-looking watch beside this other really cool-looking watch that's already got the desirability that I value in watchmaking. And actually, oh, I could buy the Louis Vuitton as well. So I just wonder whether strategically they should be placing this in a couple of big stores somewhere, a couple of exclusive boutiques, whether it be in Dubai or Hong Kong or London. It, it's an, it's entirely possible. Out. And I think that the smart thing to do when you're LVMH is wait for people to come to you. Because what you do is you have this for a few years and they're way better off when those dealers, you know, in some of those select cities go to them and be like, oh, we have to have this. That gives them the best terms and stuff like that. Right now, if they start shopping it around and be like, hey, I know that we have like the world's best luxury distribution, but can you carry um, our products? The stores actually, you know, they smell blood. They'd be like, wait, you need us? Oh, okay, we're going to use this opportunity. So a lot of it is just sort of posturing in politics. Good. Well, I look forward to seeing these in the flesh when they finally start hitting the wrists of people that we know. Uh, So, yeah, let's see how they get on. AP announced the release of a bunch of 37mm Royal Oak offshores. Simple question, do we care? <laughs> Me? No. 
Yeah. Anybody yeah. care? Not a long time. Not much. <laughs> Not a long time. Did would you have cared some time ago? Uh, maybe before I had like a full grasp of what watches are, are about. I think I get more excited about eleven fifty nines because you get to see an actual progression now of them getting better each time they bring one out. Said they're nobody ever. They're dialing these in. But just with all the other Royal Oak stuff, it's just it's, it's such a snooze fest. I mean, does anybody need a 37mm Royal Oak offshore? Is it not kind of defeat the purpose? It's the, the ladies' the model. Idea of, but, but it's not just really patronising to all the ladies. Why? In the, in the mind of the brands, if there's a market for it and people want to mm. buy it, why not make it? Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, maybe it's just move along. Nothing to see here. They, I do, I mean, I do like the music box one, whatever they call it, the black ceramic thing with the The idea the that you can make a watch it. in various sizes, but make the same watch and it appeals to different people. I mean, think about how great this is. You have one design, you just vary up the colors and materials and sizes and you sell to this like whole diverse group of luxury buyers. And that's, mm. that's actually an awesome thing for Audemars Piguet. It's boring as hell mm. for us as commentators, but for them, it's the greatest thing in the world. But it, does it not, when you're producing this in such low volumes, does it not run the risk of having the opposite effect? You know, there's me with my 44, 42, whatever the, the bigger size of these is, Royal Oak. And would they not be better encouraging everyone to buy the bigger version rather than making Why? That's like saying ones. everyone has to wear the same size shoes. <laughs> well, don't they? Uh, <laughs> in my world, that will be the rule. I'm just wondering whether it dilutes... But rather than trying to say, oh, let's appeal to every demographic, let's appeal to people with small wrists, let's let's patronise women by saying they can only allowed to wear, at least they didn't make it quartz, that they need to wear the smaller watches. We've not just been better making the case for, here's a Royal Oak Offshore, anybody can wear this, whether you've got a small wrist, a big wrist, a woman, a man, whatever. It's not like if women entered an AP store, they would be forced to buy the small one. I mean, if they want the walk-up <laughs> size version, they can have it. I'm pretty sure no one's going to tell them no. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, that's my argument. Uh, I just want to check, let's, uh, Richard, let's you, you know it's okay that you uh -huh. don't have to wear a Panerai, right? There are other sizes of watches <laughs> available. Does, doesn't say anything about your masculinity or anything like that. You can wear different size watches. Just not different size patterns. You're actually pointing on a real psychology here. We can we can laugh at Richard all we want, but it is true that there's a psychology where the second that men see women wearing a size, the reaction is, I need to go bigger. She's wearing 38, I got to go to 39. She's doing 39 now, I'm going to 40. This is a real thing that happens. So sometimes the, 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 the ballooning of size isn't because guys actually think it's cool, because there's this inherent idea that I just have to be larger than than this other thing. I mean, I mean, nobody listens to the show, so maybe we should just have a wee self help group <laughs> where we're here about what we're what we're compensating for. <laughs> no, it's not. About, it's it's nothing to do with that. It's a it's, it's, sim it's simple psychology. When, when he was wearing, you know, the big clock around his neck, you know, with the with the walk clock <laughs> literally hanging around, <laughs> just abandoned. What did he see? <laughs> what was it? What was his girlfriend wearing as an alternative? Yeah, a, a fifty-five millimeter Aguiliano Panerai, probably. But that was a 
shower clock. Remember the, the that, that was that's what that's what it was. The the clock on the string that was originally yeah. supposed to be a shower clock. That string that was that, that's what it was. It was supposed to hang around the shower head and be a clock you can see in the shower. That's exactly what that item was. Ariel's right about the size thing. The thing though that even like translates into cars as well, where a guy will have a certain car and he'll get his his girlfriend or wife like the smaller size BMW, like the one yeah, series the or the, and the yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's true. It's it's a great point. Let's talk about a watch that Arrow has reviewed, the Accutron Spaceview 2020 electrostatic power generator. Let me tie this a bit back into our previous power reserve conversation and the fact that this is a bit of a giant of a watch at 43mm and because it's effectively got no bezel, it does look particularly humongous on the wrist. Ariel, your reflections of this, is, is this just a dead-end technology that, yeah, it's nice to, to bring it back, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's it? Or can we ever expect this to continue? We've just scratched the surface of weird electric machines in the form of watches. There, I've been predicting this coming for a while, but basically, you know, we have all these mechanical watches or essentially sculptures. The, the, none of them improve upon horology. They're just there to look interesting, to be beautifully finished. And we've celebrated this for years now. The electronic version of this is 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 mostly software-less electronic watches that just do things in strange ways, incorporate interesting power generation techniques, or do things that use motors to show the time. You know, think of like the, the Devon tread in a way that you can never really do with mechanical. And so the era of using electronics to, to play with time telling, maybe be a little bit artistic about it, I think is just sort of starting now. People are trying to ask themselves with this watch, like, is this actually improvement? Like the tuning fork watch when it first came out in 1960, yeah, it was a lot more accurate than mechanical watches. And about a decade later when quartz came out, it was more accurate than tuning fork. So everyone like turned the other direction, say goodbye tuning fork, quartz is better now. And so some of the comments stay is like, why didn't Accutron actually come back with tuning fork stuff? And then I'm asking myself, if the market was presented with an option, and option one was, you know, just a newly made tuning fork watch or this. I think most people, if they had to actually compare, would choose this because tuning forks, bad battery life. Again, not that accurate. They would hum. I'm not sure people would be really into that. Some might be. Sounds like it'll explode or something like that. I don't, I don't know. So this is like, you know, it, 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 it combines a bunch of weird stuff that the citizen group is specialized in making. You think of precisionist. You think of all the experience they have. You know, they just wanted to have a watch to to put this technology in. Um, I, I it's not the end. There's still issues with it. I think the one area that I found kind of the most hilarious was around the power reserve. Ironically enough, there was no mention of this on the Accutron website. It's the weirdest thing that there's a watch and there's just like no mention. They kept saying, "Well, if you wear it forever, the power will never go out." I was like, I don't know what that means. And the idea <laughs> is that weird. if you it, there's an internal battery that if it dies and it dies dies for good, I think it's about a two-year lifespan, then that little internal battery needs to be changed or sort of kickstarted. And you can't do that. In fact, there's a strongly worded message on the back of the watch that you should not open it under any <laughs> circumstances. Is that the Bell and Ross do not unscrew this screw no, that's, message? No, that's worse. It just that, makes you want to unscrew the screw. That one doesn't. Oh, the, 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 it'll separate from the back. Anyways, <laughs> you're right. Similar to that. And, and I think that it's, 
it's it's not a perfect movement in the way that like the watch community sometimes think that every machine inside of a watch is like oh it's in a watch it's got to work flawlessly i think what's interesting is that it it it's a good hybrid it's fun to look at you literally tap the watch and it charges it and it's there's no other watch on the market but just tapping it with your finger can you be like i'm generating power now so the best mm. thing about this watch is how it looks and it is a conversation piece because it's so weird and quirky it makes for amazing conversation and it wouldn't be as nearly conversation worthy if it was just amazing and practical it's sort of in the same way that like a like a german um sports car doesn't create as many opportunities for conversation because it's it, it just does everything as well as you expect it to it doesn't it's not like way louder than it needs to be it's just as loud as it needs to be in fact it's usually quieter so it's great for conversation, and that's why we like watches so um i i think that accutron needs to continue to push this it's no less weird and quirky than other stuff out there and it has a lot of reason to exist i think that accutron itself just kind of dropped the ball on getting everyone excited about electrostatic power generation but i don't know that anyone else had to do that i mean we could have an hour-long conversation between the four of us on how to get people excited about electrostatic power generation and we could very easily fail balloons <laughs> and long hair i mean that's just what it needs it needs rolex okay. needed to they need to have loaned them that wee balloon thing from the the new rolex release because that's effectively how it works it's the mechanical watch equivalent of rubbing a balloon on your head to create <laughs> power and electricity was it a mistake to call accutron rather than bulova i mean they wanted to make a new brand the idea was to relaunch accutron as a higher-end brand they wanted it to be high in quartz again the japanese have been waiting for the world to get excited about high in quartz for like 20 years now okay <laughs> i mean with astron at seiko happening. Yeah, I mean, David knows it. They like, they're like, this is the year, guys. People are gonna spend thousands on quartz. <laughs> no. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to, you know. Well, but, so I, I, I remember the look on their face. They're like, it has GPS on it, and everyone's like, so. And they're like, but it has GPS in it. And everyone's like, so. <laughs> like David, isn't that hilarious? Like that was a big deal. Like all the Japanese brands, Citizen yes. Casio and Seiko, all did it, and it was sort of like the entire world yawned. Yes. Which is which is which is you know sad because the engineering and all the all the rest of it is just so unbelievably impressive in those watches and yet uh, it's very difficult to explain. I mean, either you have the passion and then you are in the top one percent <laughs> in their eyes and in their demographic, or you are in the other ninety nine percent and you yawn and you move on to a watch that does not have a GPS in it and live happily um, ever after. Well. Talking of watches that definitively don't have GPSs in them, David, you reviewed a watch made <laughs> of marble, which is about as far away from a watch powered by balloon head rubbing technology as you can get. This is Bulgari's entry to only watch. Mm. And yeah, it's made of marble. Discuss. Uh, when I saw the first picture of this watch and they have this uh, quite cool um you know graphic to launch the watch with and it's bit you know just the like, crashing through marble and there's like light all around the watch and the watch is just very green and it's in and it's very um particular type of marble it's green with like white and yellowish grains uh and wings in it and it's just one of the most spectacular watches i've seen in the last i don't know 15 to 20 years it's unbelievable um to my eyes at least it's 
Uh, and it's not just because it's made of marble. I mean, we've seen marble watches before. I think even Tissot made one and some others have made a few over the years. But this is so on brand. And, you know, having been in this industry for you know quite some time at this point, I, I can really appreciate it when a brand knows what it stands for, what its it, where its uh, strengths are and where its appeal is, and then manages to go and just find a very specific angle that is only theirs and, and makes and turns it into reality. And this, for me, is just such an on-brand watch, a freaking burger made of marble. I mean, this looks like something that should have existed forever, and now it finally does. Uh, it's actually... Um, crafted from titanium and they put 0.4 millimeter thick uh, wafers of marble over the bracelet links and 0.5 millimeter thick over the case and all of its 110 facets so um, and they line up the ways and all the rest of it so it really genuinely looks like as though it was um, just a milled out of a solid block of marble uh it's fantastic it, it really is quite something i hope to be able to see that jenny will watch this actually i'm not sure if i will but maybe i will and then i will go hands-on with it uh, for everyone's pleasure i've um seen a few of the the tissot stone watches before which are quite an interesting idea this is certainly a, a whole other level um i guess I'm not a huge fan of ceramic watches, but of ceramic watches that I like, I do like the Bulgari Octofinissimo. I think it's really well executed. So I think this is probably going to be the same. But it just, in terms of when I think about doing bracelet adjustments and stuff on on radios, it gives me such tremendous <laughs> anxiety. I can't even <laughs> begin to describe just thinking how many spare parts have they actually made for it. You, you can never wear, you can wear this watch once at a dinner party and yeah. you can only have one small glass of wine because it's just, it, it, it's, I, I would be very concerned about wearing it at all, but it is, it's a wonderful project to do. It's giving you the heebie-jeebies. He, he's right. It's, I was thinking before you even said that, I was going to call it like a, a runway watch where like you can only <laughs> wear like down the red carpet for the runway. Like it's to be seen. It's great. Uh, as David explained, that they <clears throat> found a way of making this work. I've been discussing making watches out of uh, m marble and stone for a long time. I think a lot of people have, have, you know, contemplated it. Some brands have tried to do it, and you see, you know, relatively simple, like round, thick cases. Uh, similar, you know, the, the, well, that the Tisa wasn't that thick, but it was round, easy to cut. You start to get in these square shapes and angles, mm. and if you know about marble and cutting, like it's a disaster. Like it's brittle; it's going to come apart. Like <laughs> it, it's a fantasy, and that's why I was joking in the comments that looks like um, you know an uh, AI image generation created it because it's it's kind mm. of what it looks like, right? So it's like take beautiful organic texture and you know skin it over, you know watch design um yes so it, it's great in principle i think it i hope it'll look great in real life i mean it'll have to be thin enough and precision cut enough you know the edging on this is going to make a big difference um i mean bulgari gets all of its value by just having these renderings right like the actual product that never even needs to look good they already have 100 percent of their marketing <laughs> you know <laughs> appeal that they want um so great stuff but maybe in the future there'll be um, a way of getting this done better. Maybe there's a way of coating it or dipping it in something that'll make it really super hard. So you could cut a very small slice and um, you know basically set it in some type of super hard lacquer. Um, I I'd love to see people keep trying, but I think that we've all agreed that practically speaking, like we'd all be 
just unbelievably afraid of wearing this thing. That says the, the five year in terms of um, research and development, which we all know whenever brands say that, you're like, cool. So it's about three months then. But this actually feels like one of those very rare moments that we should celebrate where it does feel like this could have been five mm -hmm. years in the making. And at the very end, they thought, this we can't we can't make more than one of these like everyone's taking stress leave off work as we've wrecked too many of them <laughs> uh, they've said that they, they spent 800 hours so basically like five months on it uh, on the on the research and development and the assembly but apparently they wow. could have said it five years <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that there are no photos of anyone wearing this watch yeah i mean it goes on auction they, they wouldn't put it on anyone so that you know it's, maybe it's maybe the highest the, the, there's um, not a wrist shot of it. There's no wrist shot of the of how the bracelet works. Like there's no reverse angle of how on earth you would resize this in any way, shape, or form. Stop asking for all this information. <laughs> You're gonna make them look bad. You know it doesn't actually go on anyone's wrist <laughs> <laughs> ever. So it is. It is. We should actually probably play. We we should adapt the guess the price of the Seiko game for only watch, and we'll start just now because we'll probably end up going through them all. At some stage, this is an estimate of 150 to 250,000 Swiss francs okay, for the let's, auction. Let's look at it. These estimates are not estimates. This is, exactly. we'd really like someone to spend at least this amount. Okay, yes. let's, let's call it for what it is. The amount they'd like for it to go to, or the amount, the very least amount that they will accept before they <laughs> pull it from the auction is. Exactly. So the question is, uh, and we'll run a total, we'll run a total, we'll run a book on this. How much do you think this will go for, David? Oh, this one, like 450000 Four fifty from David. Ariel? I actually think this is going to go high. I'm not going to commit to a number simply because yeah, no, no, people no, 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 know no, no. there's not going to be another one. Number. You are going to commit to a number. I'm going to say, I'm gonna say 250. 250. 250 from Ariel. Because Alex. people know they're generally not going to get yeah. another marble bracelet watch. There's no one else that's going to do this. That's yeah, true. I agree. Alex. That's what I was actually going to go for, the 250. So I'll go in the middle because I think it's a difficult one to sell. It's not quite gaudy enough for someone like producer Michael to come in and make a big bid on it. But it's like more, <laughs> it's a bit more of a classy, uh, stupid rich person purchase. So I'll say. But what if your entire mm -hmm. house is that green marble? And you're like, oh my God, a watch to match my uh, house. Yeah. But then you put it on the, on the kitchen kitchen counter and you never find it again. We dropped on the floor. Watch. Don't take your shoes off immediately. <laughs> is it in the bathroom? Is it in the kitchen? Is it on the floor somewhere? It could be anywhere. <laughs> oh my God, problems. What's Italian for chameleon? Yeah. <laughs> Alex, give yeah, us a 300, number. I'm going to go for. 300, and I'll mm. go for... I think I'll go for more than that. I'll go for 500. There we go. Cool. Excellent. Well, watch this space. Only watch. I think it's November. So You're really we'll helping muscular dystrophy over here. It's funny to know that. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Geneva-based watchmaker Raymond Vile invites you to discover the beautiful Caliber RW1212 automatic movement. Designed exclusively for Raymond Vial in Switzerland, the RW1212 features an exposed balance wheel symmetrically positioned on the dial under a traditional watchmaker's bridge. Inspired by the world's great musical composers and instrumentalists, Raymond Vial harmoniously integrates the RW1212 movement into a family of products that now also includes the visually captivating RW1212 skeleton. 
Raymond Vial is a family-owned and operated company that for more than 45 years has been celebrating independent watchmaking for enthusiasts everywhere. Visit raymond-wild.com to see more. Uh, right, let's uh, move on from one kind of material to another. Just briefly, Ariel Zodiac Super Seawolf White Ceramic. Is this just watch brands doing what watch brands do during the summer, giving us something a bit bright and shiny? Or is there something really to observe in Zodiac going down this ceramic route? I mean, this is the white ceramic follow-up to the black ceramic. Um, I think the most noteworthy thing here is how they did the ceramic case because it's basically like a ceramic shield or cap over a steel case. So they took the shape of the Super Sea Wolf and they sort of shaved it down in metal <laughs> and then they added essentially a, a, a two-piece system, which is these sort of lugs and sides and then the bezel and then, of course, the ceramic crown, which basically makes it look ceramic. You turn the watch over, the case back's metal. This allows it to maintain, you know, 200 meters of water resistance, but has, you know, the look and feel of a ceramic watch. So it's an interesting hybrid, and no one's really sort of referring it to that, um, but it is a hybrid, which I don't necessarily know. Is this more practical than ceramic people going to like it as much it's not priced as though sort of a full ceramic case. like a full ceramic case is cooler but it's going to offer you like you know 50 or maybe 100 meters of water resistance maximum because you can't screw the the case back of a ceramic uh, watch as tightly because it'll crack i i mean look it look they look nice the colors i thought were too derivative of what they've already done. So rather than come up with something very different, unique for this white case, they'd be like, here's other color palettes you've more or less liked from us, but now with a white case. Um, so I think that there's further they could go. But again, they have necess they, they don't necessarily know where the right line is between originality, which they do a lot of, and familiarity. So you see them playing with it here. Um, but I'm pretty sure there'll probably be more white ceramic in the future. Gents, any issue you think with putting ceramic onto steel that that feels like those coming together of two materials is not necessarily going to help in terms of resistance to it being bashed and cracking open because you're are you talking about like shock like shock resistance yeah shock resistance is that going to help to have the ceramic mounted on a steel back rather than just being effectively all ceramic? Uh, I haven't taken it apart. I don't know if there's a buffer. I don't know how much travel distance there is bet between. You're, you're right, because the idea of ceramic hitting anything, for that matter, if it's thin, means it could shatter. These are a lot of unknowns. And when you sort of look at the case, it, it's something that you kind of wonder. I think the good news is that, let's say, worst case scenario, something breaks and cracks you never have to worry about anything entering the inner case where the movement is. It's just sort of a cosmetic thing. And I don't think getting a new case would be as expensive as, you know, a whole new ceramic case from like Omega or something like that. Yeah. Uh, who was the actor who had the Rolex that didn't have the- Marlon Brando. The bezel on it. Marlon yeah. Brando. So at least when you break the ceramic case, you've still got a watch that's useful as opposed to the whole thing being smashed into smithereens. You've still <laughs> yeah, got the, there's the that. steel. So you can be a kind of Marlon Brando. <laughs> Look, Zodiac. this is a fashion play here. Ultimately, yeah. if you have a watch that you're worried about surviving in a sort of active or sports environment, this is a bit too fashion. It'll put up with all the swimming stuff, but you're right. This isn't like a, a G-Shock that's meant to be banged around. I quite like it. 700 quid ceramic watch. Mm. It's not bad. Chronometer. Good old chronometer. Whenever you read reviews of stuff, whenever it mentions in the first paragraph, this is fun. I'm always like, oh, this is like going to look cheap in person. 
I've worked on quite a few Rado watches where the case is basically like a a bezel with a, a seal that you kind of press onto the inner metal case. And it was always like a 50-50, like you're you're doing you're pressing it down and everyone else in the workshop is just trying to look at you but not make it obvious they're looking at you. And then there's always just this terrible shriek as there's a tiny ping noise. So if it's something like that, um, it, it's something that's been done a lot before. I've never seen it done with an actual a, a watch like this in this shape of case. Uh, so I'd actually be interested to see how it all, all goes together. But it just it looks a bit on the cheap side to me. I agree with Ariel about the colors. I think they could have done something a bit more complementary to the white case. I think that with the the existing color palettes they've used, I think it does make it look, look a bit on the cheaper side. You know, uh, fun watches means that I, I want to wear them when I'm on holiday or when I'm, you know, out and about. And, you know, for me, a watch like that should be able to put up with abuse. I'm, you know, I'm pretty heavy on my watches when it comes to wear. Uh, I bang them around and all that. So I would be kind of worried um, to, to have this watch on. But some of my friends, they have pristine watches even after years of wearing them. I have no idea how they do it. So there certainly is a type of watch lover out there who can wear these around for many, many years without actually even wearing because they are just not heavy on their watches. Okay, you begged us to bring it back. <laughs> well, actually, you didn't. We just decided it was a good idea because we enjoyed it so much last time. We're going to do Hit Miss maybe, so maybe we'll find some different theme music for it or something like that. But uh, this week's Hit Miss maybe, we have a few watches. We're going to do our very best to have Ariel commit to an actual opinion and a short one at that uh, for these watches that we covered on a blog to watch but just don't have time to go into a full depth review. So we're going to start off, Get you. I should really get you all to have bits of paper that you can hold up in, in the air so as you can declare your hit miss maybe, that's it, in advance. Has everyone got a bit of paper handy? Right, no. write, on a bit of, write on a bit of paper. Paper? Do you, do you, Throw three little bits of paper. I'll do a post-it note. So there you go. There's there's hit. Why would we need the paper? Hold on. So I'll I'll, I'll show you in a minute. So why can't I just do it like Roman style? Just thumbs up or thumbs down, you know? Oh well, yeah, you can do that. Okay, that that'll do as well. That's good. I'm gonna go all Joachim Phoenix on this. This is an outrage. This is the (laughs) this is the second time I've been on a different podcast with Richard and had to make (laughs) a hit. I threw away my last one because I thought I'm never gonna need to use these again. And he resuscitates these posters, (laughs) and the rest of you are just okay. That's fine. Last time. I liked your sign. Well, I think I think you should use the sign. <laughs> right, so we're going to do Hit Miss Maybe so all at the same time on the count of three, a bit like rock, paper, stones, so that we can get a commitment in advance of other people's opinion. So, and then you can talk about it for a sentence. So first up, new release, the Awake Mission to Earth Meatball Watch. So on the count of three, Hit Miss Maybe. We have two hits, a maybe, and David's yet to commit. Hold is on, a this maybe is... option? Yeah, maybe. Maybe is in the middle. Maybe Is that the option where I can discuss more? Okay, so we have three hits and a maybe. Ariel, tell us why it's a hit. Because it's Briefly. pretty. At the end of the day, it's a nice looking watch. People like, you know, the, the, they're complaining about little nuances. I mean, uh, is it crazy original? No, but it's just, a, it's a fun looking watch. It literally looks like a prop from like, a, a, that an astronaut would wear. You know, they, they, they borrowed a lot from o- Omega with the strap. And they just liberally use the NASA logo, which basically you get for free. 
Um, it's just a very good example of how to make it fun. I mean, even like the little fish on the back for the um, uh, water resistance is wearing like a little astronaut's helmet. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it just says funny stuff on it. And it's just, it's cute and charming. So it it's pretty looking. There's good detailing. I, for me, that's, that's, that's enough. Alex, why is it a hit? And is it because it's got a fish in the There's back? There's enough uh, little details that make it just that little bit more interesting things look to be well executed for the money um there's enough nasa stuff there it doesn't look cheap there's always uh, a worry that with these kind of things it's going to look too kind of playful and cheap but this still looks like a watch that someone who loves watches and nasa could wear every day excellent and david why is it a hit uh, yeah it's uh, you know fun watches are you know only a success in my eyes if they are actually a proper watch in the first place and this one looks very legible beautifully proportioned and well made and priced at like 900 us dollars i think this is a win especially with all those little details it's fantastic okay was well, the holdout maybe it's only maybe because i just don't like the stuff with nasa stuff on it it just gets my goat would you rather be just actual meatballs Oh, actually, yeah, a meat a meatball watch that actual meatballs. There was that watch that was the spaghetti timer. There you uh, go. That was that was a good that was a good execution of a practical practical solving of a, a problem. A meatball case, you know, you can bang that around. <laughs> meatball dial easier than marble. It's one for Mozart. A meatball bracelet. The second hand would be like a spaghetti noodle. <laughs> a noodle bracelet. A squiggly spaghetti noodle. Second hand. We're just designing watches here, aren't we? What, what's more fragile, a marble bracelet or a spaghetti bracelet? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, right, so hit miss maybe on the count of three gentlemen. Hit miss maybe for the Aquastar Model 60. Oh, we have two misses and two hits. Ari, why is it a miss? I, I just don't know why. Why do they keep making this? Why? Like, I don't know what's new about it. Like, look, I, I've worn Aquastars before in the past, and they're nice. I just I don't necessarily know what's new i just when, when i see something like this i know that there's some people out there that were waiting for this they wanted this exact size they wanted this this exact dial and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it but as someone who is looking for novelty i mean we just all got bored about the 37 millimeter audemars piguet this is another 37 <laughs> millimeter watch that again it just it'll never be something that i consider so i do want people out there to like it but for me personally it, there, there's there's nothing to take interest in david well, I, I wish I could start well, and I hope they will do well with this. It's very subjective what I don't like about it, but I'm not a fan of these lugs, this lug design, and it's not specific just to this watch, but this watch turns it up to 11. It's very flat, very very long. It's not very appealing to my eyes. It's uh, It looks like old tech uh, from an era when they couldn't make cases and lugs pretty, and it's just stepped out, and then it, it just doesn't look intricate enough to my eyes, and it's constantly drawing attention to itself while also being David's right pretty. it's from the generation of stamped everything this is this is I mean this is not per se stamped but it's from the generation where everything yes. was stamped and that's where a lot of these shapes came from you know now that we have CNC and a lot more sophisticated stuff like so yeah in a sense I agree with David like designs like this sometimes need to stay in the past yeah I just don't see the, the reason why we keep you know having this case design and lug design with us it's like, uh, in 2023 I'm going to ask Alex this because oh, no. I think you'll be sensitive imagine <laughs> imagine if a if a watch came in with a rolled steel bracelet mm. and you're like you're not using solid links like wouldn't you be just like you're like this this shouldn't be here like no one should be making like 
folded steel bracelets or anything for that I matter. I totally agree, but there's part of me that gets so annoyed every time a brand does a reissue and they screw it up in ways that could obviously be avoided and make it not like the watch that was cool in the first place. And I like, I've got quite a few different skin divers, which this is basically a, a skin diver. And yeah, most of the ones I have are junk and are falling apart because as you just said, when they made them back in the day, they were rubbish. So I don't hate the idea of having a watch that is $1,200. It's not insane um, price-wise compared to a lot of other stuff probably for the, a similar level of quality. And I like the overall design, the vintage design ideas of it. I like a steel bezel and they've not tried to to change anything up or make it too fancy. And it does give you that kind of vintage feel in a modern-ish package. It's so conservative. I mean, it is like the epitome of a conservative dive yeah. watch. Well, I like the steel bezel too, which is why I'm a big fan of steel bezels. They just they just wear so well over a period. So this is one of the few oh, those scratches. I know watches. it's great. Oh, I love it. This is one of the few love that wear and tear, especially the tear. Be, <laughs> <would be interested. laughs> okay, the Shinola Run Late Limited Edition watch. Count of three, hit miss or maybe. We have a miss, a maybe, and two hits. Let's deal with our miss first. Alex, it's a miss. I can't remember one Shinola that I actually like. There's little design cues here and there that I don't mind on this, but the majority of it is just, yeah, it doesn't really do anything for me at all, I'm afraid. Ariel, why is it a hit? I mean, this is just their sense of humor. Any brand that is able to laugh at themselves or not take themselves too seriously and do this, I mean, this, this is an internal joke that became a real product remember this is called the run well and the joke is that it's run late and that because you know i'm not going to go too deep into it but like you know it, so, so, someone at shinola is late all the time so you know <laughs> the question is like what time is it doesn't matter i'm late and it's just it's it's a it's a joke on life I and mean, we've seen you know dials that make you think other things uh, uh, mr jones watches comes to mind that have done a lot of things you know the remember you will die i mean this is sort of like remember no matter how hard you try you're always late maybe it'll help you be more on time um it's it's symmetrical it's kind of funny i mean Again, I wouldn't say that I'd be excited about wearing it, but I'm damn happy it exists. And I've seen worse attempts at humor by brands that take themselves way more seriously. So is this a a direct joke to somebody actually who works for Chanel who's always late to the meetings? Is it that niche? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So there's a there's a senior person you know who's late for their meetings and they made a watch just to tease one person. Yeah, this wasn't like this wasn't like a designer being like, Everyone, I have this great idea. Like this was an internal joke that became a product. Right, okay. Well maybe I'll maybe I'll adjust my maybe to because the reason it's a move for me is I get the joke. It's just not very funny. But now to that them, I know it's the hilarious. Backstory, well, now that I know the backstory, it's a it's bit funnier. It's an joke, though. It's like when you have to explain a joke. When has that ever worked out for anybody? Never. I, you know, I, but again, we also like watches as signifying uh, participation in a very small group. So you're the very small group that understands the joke. It's 100 watches. Remember that. David, it's a mess for you. No, I said I said it's a hit. You said, you said a hit. Oh, yeah. Ch- change your yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> change your vote. A hit. Why is it a hit? No, I think it's. Uh, I think every brand should have at least one reference that is that is a bit of fun. Um, and and this one is great, even if it's not going to be you know their money maker. I think it's 
uh, like Ari was saying, it's a brand that, you know, at least has like a humorous side and it's out there. It's, and the fact that it's a dig at somebody within the company that's unheard of, at the, you know, in the watch industry. Yeah. I, I wish they communicated that more, uh, maybe like on the case back, like tribute to like Bob <laughs> or whoever, you know, so uh, that, that would even be even more fun. But you, still, it's like, do you know, do you yeah. remember a couple of years ago, Timex did something similar for April Fool's Day? They did a 25th hour watch. So the joke was yeah. that they introduced a 25th hour and they actually made it and it was weird. And this cool. actually, you know, I, I think is actually a little even more emotionally entertaining than that one. Mm. So I think that that Shinola was emboldened by the fact that, you know, uh, a, a somewhat competitor kind of did something similar. At least this one you could buy. I don't think you could even buy the 25th hour one. But that's funny. <laughs> Final one for this week. Hit miss maybe on the Itai Noi seven day cycle watch. One, two, three, go. It's a hit, two hits from myself and Ariel, a miss from David, and a maybe from Alex. David, give us your miss. I'm just, it's just, uh, I can't really read it that well. Uh, again, it's, I mean, it looks like a fun watch, but the execution is, is a bit of a miss for me. Um, you know, it's just, I'm just looking at it. I can't make it out what it's trying to say, how to read it. It's just, it's just not there uh, for me. Alex, why is it? There's amazing? enough different things about it that I enjoy, but it's just, it's a bit confused or something. The hands are a bit kind of FP genre, which, which I like, and there's little design cues here and there that look like they're well done, but it's almost, they've done too many things and it just doesn't make it a, uh, a watch that I'd want to actually wear. And Ariel. I know Ite, you know, quite well, so I can probably speak the closest to his design philosophy. <clears throat> you know, he's an independent watchmaker, doesn't have the budget to do a lot of complicated things. So what he's tried to do in the past is create fun and useful, we'll call them dial animations, you know, not having to invent new things. And so here he's able to take, you know, how movements already work by playing with the dial, by playing what they say. And I think what he's doing here is he's taking an experiment. He's basically saying, you all know these watches that have the days of the week, but other than having them in other languages, you basically see most of the same stuff outside some of the little things that your Elaine Silbersteins have done. And here he is in three separate instances showing other ways of indicating the days of the week. Uh, some of them, um, like he has one here where he just says it like, by numbers he says rest day first day second day it, it it's um it's not really the days of the week it's just sort of telling you the numbers and reminding you that in, in a lot of cultures the last day is the rest day which is kind of true and it's interesting you have another one where it is the days of the week um in hebrew so it's just interesting to see how that's done and the way he does it is he has all of them on the dial but then the disc in the back illuminates um, the current one. And so I think he's done a good job of, of presenting a different way of indicating the days of the week um, in, a, in a budget way because he didn't have to invent any new movements or stuff like that um, in a way that I think feels genuinely satisfying. So given what he was trying to accomplish and the sort of thing he was trying to, to demonstrate, I think he did it quite well. Yeah, and I think that's why I'd give it a hit as well. I think it is actually quite well executed. It is a fun idea which is actually fun. I feel a bit. I feel a bit almost attacked that I'm like not the fun person anymore. I wasn't fun enough for the Shinola. 
and now this guy as well i'm not funny enough to get that i'm like ruining everyone's fun <laughs> yeah, the uh, next time you're gonna be wearing some crazy colors it's gonna be I'm some like a sign, okay? confetti <laughs> yeah you're gonna have you're not gonna have a sign you're gonna have horns going you know an air horn two toots for hit two one toot for miss (laughs) good stuff right well that is us for this week very quickly david where can the world find you on instagram it's abdw underscore david alex where can the world find you on instagram watch regulator and everything robin the regulator podcast excellent and ariel where can the world find you and what's happening on superlative um, yeah, so Superlative Podcast and a Blog to Watch Weekly Podcast. Um, actually, it's been great in Superlative. A lot of interesting um, guests that uh, I encourage everyone to come and listen to the show. Of course, my articles on blogtowatch.com and on Instagram at Ariel to Watch. Not sure about threads yet. Maybe. I was just going to ask, is anyone, I'm on threads, anyone else on threads That's yet? a bad sign. If you're on something, that means it's already dead. <laughs> it's already dead. <laughs> I, I'm still on Clubhouse Stop somewhere. Clubhouse. <laughs> I, oh, how I miss you. All, all the IWC executives are still sitting there waiting for someone to enter the room. <laughs> they were a firm that bought into Clubhouse in a big, big way. Anyway, you can That's find hilarious. me on at Rick TikTok on Instagram and threads. Thank you all very much for joining us. Join us again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Not sure about threads yet. Maybe. I was just going to ask, is anyone, I'm on threads. Anyone else on threads That's a bad sign. If you're on something, that means it's already dead. (laughs) It's already dead. (laughs) I'm still on Clubhouse somewhere. Clubhouse. (laughs) Oh, how I miss you. All all the IWC executives are still sitting there waiting for someone to enter the room. They were a firm that bought into Clubhouse in a big, big way. Anyway, you can find me on at Rick TikTok on Instagram and threads. Thank you all very much for joining us. Join us again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.